How many of you were growing up told that it was rude to spit? How many of you remember getting told that, right? How many of you also, as kids, maybe would brag about how far you could spit, right? I remember doing that, having contests with uh, watermelon seeds, seeing how far we could spit. If you've ever been spit on, though, it's one of the most offensive things that can happen to you. Ancient Romans uh, had an interesting relationship with spit, though. It's not what we would think. They spat on the victim of an epileptic fit in an attempt to help them. They thought that that would help in some way. They also spat to ward off the bad luck that apparently would follow meeting a person that was lame in their right leg. They'd spit, and they thought that this would give them some amount of luck. They spat in the right shoe before putting it on for good luck. I'll do that for you next time you put your shoes on if you want me to. And then it goes further. They even treated eye infections by applying a saliva-based ointment every morning. And this, you know, after COVID, this sounds even more like crazy, right? Pains in the neck were treated by applying a fasting saliva, which you, uh, you obtain fasting saliva during, you know, fasting. So that's how you can heal your pain in the neck, wives, if you want to just spit on your husband. But so powerful was the force attributed to saliva, wrote Pliny in AD 60, that the Romans believed that spitting three times before taking any medication sufficed to enhance its curative powers. Now, these things seem unsanitary and silly now, but how many of you have cut your finger before and immediately put it in your mouth to remove the pain? I actually did that last night. I cut my finger on a coffee can as I was making my coffee last night. Animals even lick their wounds in order to get relief. And interesting enough, there are antibacterial properties in healthy saliva, as well as blood uh, clotting agents. You might at this point be like, all right, why are you talking about spit so much? Well, it seems strange, but Jesus used spit in three separate miraculous healings. The first one we'll look at is found only in the biography that John Mark wrote about Jesus that we know as the Gospel of Mark. And you can turn there in your Bibles if you want to in Mark chapter 8, be in the CBC notes portion of your app as well. Mark chapter 8. It says, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. So Jesus is making his way back from this more Gentile area of Tyre and Sidon to a place on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, a town called Bethsaida. And people led a blind man to Jesus. This seems to be a similar situation as the lame man that the friends brought to Jesus and dropped him through the roof to be healed. 
These friends brought this man because they cared and they believed enough to take him to Jesus. So Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Jesus did this sometimes. He withdrew from the crowd in order to do his work, especially early on in his ministry. See, Jesus revealed his deity in stages, firstly to only certain crowds more than others. He was very intentional about what he did. But Jesus healed this man. We take our sight for granted, right? We don't often think about what it would be like to walk around not being able to see. But this man didn't. He knew how important it was. And now Jesus healed him. He could see. Healing of the sight, uh, uh, the loss of sight and the loss of healing, uh, I mean hearing, those healings are messianic prophecies from the book of Isaiah. That, hundreds of years before, we see that in Isaiah 35, 5, it says, then the eyes, talking about the Messiah when he comes, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, uh, deaf unstopped. In this passage in Mark, Jesus tells the man who was formerly blind not to go back into the city, but to go right home and not to interact with anybody. That seems a little bit weird to us too, right? Uh, you know, if we healed somebody, we want everybody to know. We want everybody to see. But Jesus had not come to the point where he was revealing himself to everyone. He had more work to do, and he didn't need the uh, extra attention. Well, that's amazing, right? Jesus healed someone. But we're kind of burying the lead, right? Why did Jesus use spit? He healed people before without spit. Why did he have to touch them with spit here? Well, Jesus doesn't explicitly explain this, but he is communicating something. It's an illustration. There's reason to believe that because of the cultural place that spit had in society, that, they are, that Jesus is using this picture to signify to the person and those around him that he was going to help them medically and physically. Now, if I wore a stethoscope around my neck and held it in my hand as I walk towards you, you would assume that I thought that I could help you in some way. In reality, you should probably run. But perhaps that's why Jesus used spit, right? To say to the person and the crowd in their cultural way that his intention was to heal them. During Jesus' ministry, Jesus also healed a deaf and a mute man by putting his fingers in his ears and a spit-dabbed finger to touch his tongue. Seems strange, right? It's good that he didn't do it the other way. That's a wet willy, right? <laughs> then he healed another blind man with mud and spit in a mixture spread over his eyes. But there's something different about this first stage uh, of this... Uh, man that is healed, this first one in Mark that we're talking about. This is the only instance where healing didn't come right away. It came in two different stages. His eyes only work halfway at first, and then Jesus has to do it again. Well, did he fail? What's going on here? Did Jesus make a mistake? Why did this happen? At first, the formerly blind man now sees all misshapen and and it, everything is hard to make out, like a fun house mirror. The Bible describes that by saying people look like trees. I've never been confused with a tree. Uh, Pastor Scott probably has. 
But this account reminds us of going to the eye doctor, right? We got the picture of the machine that they use at the eye doctor, right? You remember this. This is probably the place I've felt the most pressure in all my life, right? Is this better or is this better? And all that hangs in the balance is your sight, right? And you're like, oh no, can I have more time? Can I call a lifeline? There's too much pressure here. Is this better or is this better? But why does this man see at tre- as people as trees at first? We know Jesus didn't fail. We know Jesus didn't slip up. But we also know that deta- details like this prove the authenticity of Scripture. Why, why include this? Why make this part up where it's healed in stages? It just is, is confusing us further. Well, perhaps... It was a lack of faith on the part of the man that brought him only partial healing at first. Maybe Jesus showed him something first to go from blind to blurry. But as a result, maybe the man doesn't just wish he could be healed. He finally believes, and then he's healed fully. There are times like this in Jesus' hometown where he did not perform many miracles because those people lacked faith. And then other times where Jesus heals someone and says, your faith has made you whole. For some reason, Jesus likes to couple our faith with his power. From the context of the verses surrounding this account, we also see that Jesus may have been highlighting the partial spiritual blindness of some of his followers. How many of us have experienced a sharpening of our understanding of who Jesus is as we go through life, from a childlike faith to a full-grown faith. We see this kind of clarity come into our spiritual life at times. The disciples experience, too, uh, this, this same type of thing. At first, it seems as if many of Jesus' disciples and followers felt like he was more of a prophet than the Messiah. They also didn't really grasp that the Messiah would be divine. The Jews thought of the coming Messiah as more of a prophet king than maybe the son of God. And right before this account of the blind man being healed, Jesus says this to his disciples in Matthew 8, 18. He said, having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear. And then scripture right from there goes into this two-stage healing of the blind man. See, the disciples knew that Jesus was important, but was he really God himself? Many didn't seem to fully grasp who Jesus was until after the resurrection. Judas never truly saw. Thomas only after touching the risen Jesus. Even after the resurrection, Matthew tells us that his followers hesitated to fully worship him. Was it okay to worship a human even if he was divine? Now, these are things that we don't have to deal with, right? But when things are happening in real time, we have questions. And we can see how they might have hesitated in fully believing everything that Jesus was. And you could say, at times, the disciples were seeing men as trees. Partially, but not fully. In a sense, they see Jesus' ministry with severe nearsightedness. 
And you can see this when they argue about which one of the disciples was the greatest, right? Such a weird conversation for Christians to have. And they also argued about who would get to sit at God's right hand. They didn't quite see Jesus for who he was. They didn't get that Jesus' ministry is not about political or social power, but about love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. These things don't get us credit or fame or power or earthly respect. The disciples, though, they still didn't get it yet. But after the empty tomb and the ascension, his followers saw everything clearly and they gave up everything to follow Jesus. And this is why we have this story thousands and thousands of years later, thousands of miles removed from where it happened. See, they kind of got it before, but they could see clearly now. In the next few verses directly following this blind man that was healed in Mark, Peter seems to be one of the first disciples to start seeing clearly in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. It says, and Jesus went on, his, uh, went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others said Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but to who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about it. The Gospel of Matthew's account of this same conversation, Jesus adds, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, similar to the blind man finally seeing clearly, Peter is miraculously seeing who Jesus really is. More than a prophet, but the Son of God. And this is the belief that the church is founded on. Jesus is the Christ that the gates of hell will not beat. But again, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone yet. I'm sure they're finally reeling uh, from the reality of being able to see Jesus clearly. This is who he is. I didn't wear glasses till I was about 15 years old consistently. And I remember being overwhelmed with the clarity, stepping outside and seeing the clouds and seeing the leaves on the trees. And this can happen to us spiritually as well, where we see partially, we believe, but we don't get the full picture of who Jesus is. I put my faith in Christ at the age of eight, but I'm not sure I saw clearly what it was meant to be a disciple till I was in my 20s and then in my 30s, and then probably again in my 40s. And that's okay. We come with a childlike faith, but we don't stay there spiritually. We don't stay as spiritual children. God calls us deeper and deeper into our, our relationship with Him, to see Him better and to know Him more. And sometimes that takes us going through hardships, right? Sometimes it takes going through sorrow and confusion and doubt to get a clearer picture of who God is. We don't know our faith until it's tested. And it's like that eye doctor saying, can you see me yet? How about now? What about this? 
And today, your sight of Jesus might be a little bit blurry. You don't reject him. You believe, but there's still stuff in your eyes. You need the Holy Spirit to reveal to your heart and your flesh that Jesus is the Son of God. And that you can fully trust him. And you can put your faith in him. And the same God that helped you in the past can help you right now. Maybe you're standing in a place where you need some healing in your life. Whether it's a physical struggle, and the pain is a relentless companion, making even the smallest task challenging. It changes your mood, even your personality. You need to see God clearer in your pain. And that's what you need today. Maybe it's a financial struggle. And there's never a time where you're not thinking about your lack of money and it's constant stress and it shapes your plans and your hopes. Nothing seems certain and you're making decisions between different necessities and it's hard and you need to see God clearer through your financial pain. Maybe it's a struggle with broken relationships and sadness and grief, a sense of loss and it's hard to trust people. You've been hurt. And emotions are complex, and you're longing to see God in this relational pain. You want to see clear. Well, you can rest this morning in knowing that even in our darkest hours, how things are right now is not how they will always be. And God is not done showing you who He is. This morning, the challenge to you is to come to him. All you that are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. That same God who spoke light into the world has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God that spoke light out of darkness wants to speak light into your despair as well to show you the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. And I can't promise you that God will heal your physical pain or financial and relational pain, although I hope He does and He may. But I can promise you that the God that spoke light into the world, wants to use his Holy Spirit to give you a clearer picture of who he is and how he feels about you. And that you are not alone and that he is in control. He wants you this morning to see him clearer. Can you see him yet? How about now? You've gone through pain. You've gone through struggle. Has God given you a clearer picture of who you are, of who he is, and who you are to him? That's the prayer today, is that God would reveal more of himself and bring things even more into focus. Let's bow our heads and and close our eyes as the band comes. This morning, feel free to 
use the uh, altar down here if, if God leads you to do that and pray in your seat. Maybe this morning the things that you're seeing of God are, are blurry, are out of focus, and it's scary. Your pain seems so big, the problems and circumstances are eclipsing your view of who God is. And what you need this morning is to have God give you clarity. That old hymn says that when we see the light of his face, that all the things of earth grow strangely dim. And that's what we want this morning is a clearer picture of who he is. As the band plays and you let God work in your heart, you pray in your seat or want to use the altar up here. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not a matter necessarily of needing a more focused picture, but rather you need to look to Him. The Bible tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 5.8 tells us that God commended His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, we each have a problem called sin. That sin separates us from God for all eternity. But Jesus made a way for us to get to God. You can put your faith and trust on him right now in this moment to save you. You can call on him. The words aren't important. It's about a decision from your heart to God's ears and call and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I put my faith and trust in you to save me. God, I believe that you sent your son to die in my place and that he rose again on the third day, breaking the chains of sin and death. As we have a time of prayer, that's you, you call out you're not sure that you're have a relationship with God call out to him let's have a time where we meditate on God's word and ask him to bring us a clearer picture of who he is once again the altar's open you pray in your seat do what God wants you to
Heavenly Father, pray for each soul here today, God, that you would draw them closer to you. God, help them to see you so that they might follow you with all their life, not just on Sunday morning for an hour, but every moment, all throughout the week, at work, at home, with their friends. God, that they might be able to see your love for them and that you call them to something deeper and higher. God, I pray for any that might not know you yet in this room, God, that they would take that leap, put their faith and trust in you as the only means of their salvation. God, we thank you. As we continue to worship you, God, I pray that you would be pleased and honored. God, this morning as we sing, I pray that you would give us an even clearer picture of who you are.